0: you find our Bible reading this morning on the sheet in front of you. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 11, and 13.1 to 14.1. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between the spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing." Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy.
1: It's handy to have those Bible verses with you, uh, in front of you, because we're going to be uh, referring to them as, as we go through this, this uh this message, this talk. Um, Sorry, I realized when we were going through, there's a a chunk that Jeff rightly read out, because I asked him to, but I didn't didn't put it on your sheet. Sorry about that. Um, But anyway, um, my administration assistant failed miserably there, so uh, we'll have to get her. She is only five, so, uh, you know, you can't, you've got to let her off. So, um, this is the the final, then, in our our series, the final message in our mini-series. We've been going through uh, called When You Come Together. And what we've been trying to do um, as a church is examine some of the core convictions and practices... Um, that they really form what happens when we come together, and the reason why we're doing this now is because we've 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 uh, we've grown significantly over the last six months, really since we started meeting again. We've sort of doubled in size, which is awesome. It's very exciting, but also um, I'm aware uh, that a lot of people, you know, Foundation Judge is new to you, and so what we're trying to do is just go through um, these six sort of um, biggies, I suppose, um, just to let you know what happens when we come together. And you can see on the on the slide behind me, uh, the first three weeks we've been looking at what we've been describing as the ordinary means of grace you know the, the the God's ordinary ways that he grows the church and grows our faith and so we look at the word of God and sacraments that's baptism and uh, and Lord's Supper over here and then uh, thirdly belonging so again that's sort of to do with membership and and, um, uh, and being part of the community on mission and then uh, things sort of changed a little bit when we got to number four and five and we're looking at uh, revelatory gifts uh, followed by healing, and this week we're, we're, we're sort of doing the rest, the leftovers, everything left over. And, and the reason for that is that we, we realise that God uses ordinary means to grow the church, which is awesome, we want to embrace that, thank you God, but also extraordinary means as well, extraordinary ways that he, he blesses us and strengthens us and, and causes us to grow. And as a church we want to, we want to embrace both, you know, we want to take all, all the gifts that he will have for us, And and that begins with looking at the scriptures and asking ourselves, where does this all come from, and um, and therefore what should we do about it? And so that's very much the context um, of of the first part of our reading from from, uh, 1 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11. We've read this every week for the last two weeks, and this is the third week, um, so so that we can see where all this comes from. There's more that we can learn and we will learn in a few moments, um, but that's, that's really where we're at. So today we're going to be looking at these three uh, areas, tongues, hands, and hearts. And uh, I realize that uh, probably in getting the, the ball uh, rolling, um, it might stoke, stoke up a lot of questions. Uh, for you. And so this is very much just an overview, and I, I, I will try to, to, to be as clear and concise as possible, um, but, but you know, please, those resources that we've been giving out and sharing over the last few weeks, get a hold of them. You know, if, if, you, if there's a book that you quite fancy that someone else has given, ask them for it, or um, go, go, on, go on and buy it yourself, maybe use your, uh, your Christmas gift vouchers or something to, to purchase this. But yeah, I just want to just, again, just give us a highlight and an overview, uh, just so you know where we stand. As a church on this one. So um, verses 7 through 11 of the first bit of 1 Corinthians uh, 12 give us the gifts, Uh, some of the gifts, sort of an overview of some of the gifts that the, the, the Holy Spirit gives to the church to strengthen it and to build it. And that's very much the point that we've been seeing over the last few weeks, isn't it? Gifts are given to strengthen the community on mission. So that we are uh, strengthened as a community, but strengthened in mission. If they fire us up and they send us out uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and and you know, according to what Paul seems to be writing here, he considers all this to be part of a healthy local church. All right. And so Paul, uh, in, in in these uh, chapters here, we've sort of been hovering around First Corinthians uh, twelve to fourteen for the last few weeks. He's writing to this church to to help them, or rather, to correct their misuse of some of the gifts of the spirits. They're extraordinary gifts. So Paul is sort of writing to correct their misuse, but um, hopefully as we'll see as we go through here, n- no point ever says stop using them. Right? Stop operating in the gifts because they're too, too much trouble, uh, causing too, many damage, too much damage. Instead he says use them properly. You know, use them well. Uh, use them in a way that builds up and, and expresses love. And again we'll see that as we Go through, and so this 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 moment here, and this, this morning, we're going to focus uh, on uh, the gift of tongues. Uh, tongues are are particularly controversial for the church at Corinth, and they occupy quite a lot of Paul's attention in verses, uh, sorry, chapters 12 through 14. Um, and so that's that's where we get quite a bit of our information on on Paul's teaching uh, when it comes to the gift of tongues. Uh, but they're not just controversial for the church in Corinth; they're, they're controversial for today as well, are they not? Um, churches have literally split in two because of uh, one, one side or other's view of how the gift of the gift of tongues should work, and so forth. And so, it's my hope that that will never happen here at Foundation. Uh, but, but, the, but the, in coming together and looking at the Scripture um, and seeing it in context, that we'll be able to understand and um, accept the gift for what it is. But I understand there are strong views um, either side of the debate. So what we're going to be looking at in this next few moments, anyway, in this section here, is what, are, what is the gift of tongues, firstly, and then how are we supposed to use them, uh, particularly in the context of coming together. So what are they and how are we supposed to use them? So first of all, what are the gift of tongues? Well, he says in verse 10, uh, we've got here, um, to another the work, this is the various gifts he's describing, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, uh, to some the ability to s- distinguish between spirits, to another, various kind of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. So right there in the mix, among all, the, all these things that Paul is describing, he mentions the, the gift of various kind of tongues, various types of tongues. Tongues can also be translated as languages. And, and, and we see from the really the beginning, I suppose, of, of the church, when the church was birthed, um, in, in, in the book of Acts, um, Acts chapter 2, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, when the Holy Spirit comes and when he arrives and, and, and his presence is often marked by people speaking in tongues. Not, not all the time, um, but certainly in very key moments. The coming of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, is marked by the presence of, of speaking in tongues. So, for example, in Acts chapter 2, they're all together in the upper room. Uh, they were told to wait for the promise of the Father that Jesus was going to send when he ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's, that's what the plan was. And so we get this picture of all these uh, disciples of Jesus, certainly uh, the 11 apostles or 12 apostles, as they were, um, plus probably some others as well. And they were waiting. And, and it says that, um, you know, the, the sound of mighty rushing wind uh, came. Uh, and tongues of fire appeared on, on their heads, and it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And, and, and they, they sort of erupted in this, uh, I don't know, this sort of uncontainable praise, uh, declaring the mighty works of God. Um, but as we, as we read on in Acts chapter 2, it seems to be that what they were speaking, they were declaring the mighty works of God, praising God for all he's said and done through Jesus um, but they were seen to be speaking in known languages. How do we know that? Um, because of the, the, the Jewish festival of Pentecost at that occasion, there were, there were Jewish people from all around the known world uh, who spoke in different languages. Hebrew wouldn't have been their first language. And uh, it says they were all able to hear these strange people declaring the mighty works of God in our own languages. So we know, particularly at this, this uh, stage here, um, the, the, the gift of tongues can be Known languages, the sudden utterance of known languages. Uh, But fast forward then to Paul's writing here in in 1 Corinthians. And uh, it seems to be, uh, suggesting anyway, that um, the gift of tongues can be known languages, but also can be unknown languages. It can be uh, unknown content, I suppose. So where do we get that from? Well, I'll read a few bits and pieces uh, to you from 1 Corinthians 14. If you have your Bibles open, it's handy, you can see where I am. For example, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Okay, so it seems to be uh, that tongue speaking is something between an individual and God, but but it's not not directed to one another. Um, Similarly, in verse 4, he says, the one who speaks in tongues builds him or herself up as opposed to building the whole church up, you know, the whole, the whole group. Uh, Paul describes tongues in verse 9 of chapter 14 as not intelligible to others listening around. So we're sort of building up this picture that for Paul anyway, certainly tongues can include known languages, but can also include unknown languages, sort of between a person and God. Uh, Paul describes it in verse 15 of chapter 14 as praying in the Spirit. You know, he says, "'My Spirit is praying.'" So let's, let's, let's maybe have a stab then at a, gift, a definition of the gift of tongues, just so we're all on the, the same page here. Um, here here's my, my working definition of the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is the spirit-empowered language of worship and prayer, which is unfamiliar to the speaker. Okay, so the gift of tongues is the spirit-empowered language of worship and prayer, which is un... familiar, unfamiliar to the speaker. And that can include known languages that others may hear from other countries or unknown languages. Um, we, we get that kind of hint in, in, in actually in chapter 13, the first verse of chapter 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels. So it suggests that there's this sort of, uh, you know, twofold um, gift of the tongues, the tongues of men. You can understand tongues of angels, you know, heavenly language, whatever um, you can't understand, so to speak. Uh, but, but either way, uh, the gift of tongues often uh, results in a sort of eruption of praise or worship. It's a kind of prayer, I suppose. Um, whereas, whereas what I'm doing now and talking to you is, is a, I suppose, we could understand as a, a cerebral thing. My brain is working, and, and you're. Uh, your brains are able to hopefully understand what I'm saying here. That's that's always good. Um, but you know, something to do with the the, the language of, of of tongues seems to sort of be, I would say, super cerebral. You know, it's not like anti cerebral. We're not. It's not. We're not thinking. It's just that it seems to sort of, uh, I, tr- I don't know, um, transcend um, thought. It's, it's it's speaking in the spirit, so to speak. Now, just to be clear. Um, especially if you're new here and if you've never maybe come to Foundation before, uh, speaking in tongues is odd. All right? it, is, it is weird. Uh, it really is. And um, it sounds weird, particularly if you've never heard it before. Um, and it depends very much, obviously, on your background, your experience in church as well, uh, what sort of church you have been brought up in uh, or had experience of in the past. Uh, f- maybe for some of you, as you're listening to the, these things, um, for you, the sound or the understanding of the gift of tongues is, is something new. Maybe you've never heard of this before. Um, maybe slightly bemused that these crazy Christians, this is the first time I turn, turn up to church and this is what they're talking about. You know, um, Maybe that's how you feel. Uh, perhaps for you, um, your know, reaction is slightly different when we talk about the gift of tongues and, and working through that. Maybe, maybe you feel a certain amount of hostility uh, within yourself. Perhaps even fear. Um, and that may be based on previous experiences that you have had. And that's something that, that many of us can and do struggle with. But perhaps for you, it's the other end of the scale in some ways. Um, the, 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 the hearing tongues and speaking in tongues uh, energizes you. you know, it's, it's something that you embrace, that you want, because you uh, associate that with the presence of God. You know, God is in our midst because people are speaking in tongues, and that's just wonderful. Some people reject tongues completely as, as, a, as a thing that the local church um, can do. Um, for example, many appeal to um, chapter 13, verse 8. I think it's on your sheet, is it? Verse 8? Yes, there we go. Um, chapter 13, verse 8 says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And so some people will say, well, look, it says here tongues will cease. Therefore, we shouldn't have tongues being mentioned or spoken of or used in the local church. Um, and I think we can all agree it does obviously say their tongues will cease, but the question remains when <laughs> when will they cease because it doesn't it doesn 't uh, you know it just just leaves the question open there I think um, even more I would say uh, even even though tongues will cease at some point uh, it seems to be that the the, the uh, uh, the language that Paul uses here refers to uh, when the perfect comes. You know, the tongues and gifts and all these wonderful things will, will, will stop when the perfect comes. Or, or it will stop when we reach full maturity, in verse 11. Or, or they'll stop when we see face to face and we'll know even as we are fully known, in verse 12. That's when the gift of tongues will cease. That's when prophecies will cease. That's when faith is no longer needed. And, and when does that happen, we may ask ourselves. Well, this language is steeped in what we might describe as eschatological language. It's referring to the last time, you know, the end times, the time when Jesus comes again. He returns to make all things new. Then we don't need faith because we will see him face to face. And he will welcome us and embrace us into the fullness of his kingdom. You know, We sing that, don't we? Oh Lord, haste the day when our faith shall be made sight. You know, the skies be rolled back as a scroll. The trumpet shall sound, the Lord shall descend. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord myself. That's what we hunger for as Christians, right? For the return of Jesus to make everything new. And it seems to be, Paul is saying here, yes, tongues will finish when Jesus returns. Yes, faith is no more required because Jesus will return and we'll see him with our eyes. His point in this, Paul's point in this chapter, in chapter 13, is not therefore that the gifts will cease at some point after the early church. They will cease, but one day they will go. And uh, what is important, as we should see in a few moments, is love. Um, Love. And for a church that was prone to elevating the significance of the gifts, they needed to hear that, that. One day, those things will go when Jesus comes. Concentrate on love. Don't concentrate on tongues, says Paul to the church in Corinth. Okay? So that's kind of a, a bit of a bit of an overview of what tongues are, this spirit-empowered language of worship and prayer unfamiliar to the speaker. Um, so let's then think uh, um, next steps. You know, how, how should we use tongues? Because Paul uh, you know, says in, here in chapter 13, we've just seen it, that tongues will eventually pass away. We, we've got that. But then he spends an inordinate amount of time in verse uh, chapter 14 explaining how tongues should function in the local church. Right, so clearly Paul doesn't suggest that one day they're going to stop you know, in the next few years or something. In fact, he says in verse 39 of chapter 14, do not forbid the speaking in tongues. Okay, so we've got clear uh, teaching here from the apostle about how they should function in the local church. So let's, let's um, you know, just make some broad comments on, on that together. Uh, so how should they function in the local church? I, I think there's two realms um, that we need to, to take home with us today. Uh, the first is they function very much in personal use. Tongues function in personal use because the focus, you know, um, in tongue speaking is between you and God. There's this intimacy that, as I said, transcends words, um, rather like a, a, a parent babbling to a baby. It's not, there's no content there, so to speak, and not that the baby can understand, but there's a communication between those two people, between the parent and the child, uh, that just seems to transcend uh, language. And so uh, we see something like that in the use of tongues. So there's the intimacy between God the Father and, and you as his child. And, and um, you know, in times of prayer and worship, um, particularly when you're on your own, maybe studying the scripture or praying or singing or something like that, this is a wonderful place to, to use the gift of tongues, just to enjoy the presence of God. Paul says in chapter 14, verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Obviously, uh, a gift that he enjoys, and he enjoys uh, using that gift to, to experience and just take, take pleasure in the presence of God. So, you know, as we've been seeing over the last few weeks, tongues, along with the other gifts, are gifts to be sought. And the gift's to be prayed for, to be asked for. It's a gift to be enjoyed. Um, he, you know, as he said, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts of which tongues is one of those gifts. So the personal use very much, uh, very much part of it. But the second, and probably more more uh, relevant for our study uh, today, is what happens when you come together. How should we do this as we gather together as um, as a church? How how should tongues function? Well, here at Foundation Church Belfast, you can, you can expect to hear, maybe have already heard, people praying or worshipping in tongues uh, during uh, times of worship. Um, and so if that's you, if, if, if you have the gift of tongues, um, please, just want to let you know, feel free to use that gift and to enjoy the presence of God as we worship together as a community. Um, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Um, and tongues, just so you know, tongues uh, are not intended to be flashy, You know, like really, really cool or sort of set you apart from other people. Uh, They're not a sign of our superiority. Like the super-Christians can speak in tongues and the rest of us just speak with normal words. That's not how they function. But neither are they actually a sign of inferiority. Look at these idiots babbling away. You know, I like to use my mind and think about God. They're just sort of checking out and brain in neutral. It is neither, according uh, to the apostle here. It's a gift, Some people among us are going to be gifted to pray or sing in tongues, and others are not going to be gifted in that way. And that's okay. That's what we've been seeing, is it not? Some are gifted in one area, and some are not gifted in another area. Some of you are gifted with a good singing voice. Um, Some of us are not. Um, But we're all called to worship, right? We're all called to sing, uh, and yet we're not supposed to be getting resentful of the people who've got great singing voices we can enjoy their great singing voices and say wow that just stirs my heart when i hear them singing and praising god with their wonderful voice i think the same is to be said for tongues as well not to be resented or to be feared but to just think that's great someone is praising god and that just stirs my heart that's just wonderful it's a gift builds the church So expect to hear people praying or singing in tongues during times of worship and prayer, for example, at Foundation Church. But here's one thing we're not really going to do here. We're not going to give what I would describe as a platform to speaking in tongues, ordinarily. We're not going to give a platform to speaking in tongues. And I guess this is really the point that Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 14, chapter 14, um, he, he says, look, tongues are great for the speaker, for the person who's speaking or singing in tongues. Wonderful, it builds you up and it enriches you and communicates that intimacy between you and God. Um, but it doesn't really have quite the same effect on the rest of the community. Uh, yes, we can look and say, isn't that great, wonderful, the gifts are given. Um, but it doesn't do quite as much, not directly anyway, to, to the whole community. Um, on balance, says Paul, when he's comparing prophecy and tongues, he says prophecy, you know, words of, of, of knowledge or encouragement uh, that God brings to people. That has a far greater ability to build up the whole church because we can all understand what's being said by someone gifted uh, with the prophetic words. Tongues, on the other hand, no one can understand. The individual is built up with the church less so. Prophecy, he says, is, is way better. He said, I'd rather speak five words uh, from my mind, that is a sort of prophetic word, I suppose, uh, rather than speak 10,000 in a tongue. Not that tongues are bad, it's just that they're kind of limited in their application. Okay? So that's why uh, we're not going to say, you know, come up, you know, tongue, oh, tongue speaker, and come and, you know, speak tongues down the microphone for the rest of us to listen to. That's not going to happen. Um, the only time that might happen, and I guess it's a bit more rare, is um, and there's only one exception to that, is, is uh, when someone is able to interpret the tongues. So if you look down, for example, at verse, um, chapter 12, in the first bit, verse 10, uh, we've got the gifts uh, being given out, uh, distinguished between spirits, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. So just as speaking in tongues is a gift of the spirit, so too is the ability to somehow or other understand what is being said by the tongue speaker and then share that or interpret that to the church. On that occasion, yes, um, it seems to occupy a similar, I suppose, level or weight um, to a prophecy, a prophetic word. Um, But Paul says, if there's no one to interpret, then just let them keep silent. That is, they're not making a contribution. They They can sing and worship in tongues, that's absolutely fine. Um, but unless there is an interpretation of those tongues or someone gifted, uh, let them just keep speaking between God and, and themselves. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? So you, if, you, if you're uh, gifted in speaking in tongues, or if you want that gift, that's, that's wonderful. If you are gifted, then please use that gift. Make use of it. Enjoy it. Enjoy God in that way. That's, that's what we want. Um, and, you know, uh, that, that will somehow strengthen us. Um, but if you don't have that gift and you want it, then, as we've been saying, we, we can ask. We can ask God to give it. It says, pursue, uh, sorry, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So if you, if you don't have the gift of tongues and you want it, then ask and pray and keep on asking. If you don't want the gift of tongues, that's okay. Uh, of course it is. Uh, tongues, tongues can and should never be forced on anyone, uh, as with any spiritual gift, right? it's a gift of God given to a person. It's not something that we can sort of ratchet up or, or push on someone. It's given for your enjoyment, it's given to strengthen the church and to glorify Jesus. <laughs> Tongues. Uh, please carry on reading, please carry on studying, and go, go look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and um, you know, consider the apostles' teaching on this really uh, important subject. Let's move on, though, because we've, we've got tongues and hands and hearts. So, so hands is the next bit I want to be talking about. And um, this is, these are gifts, I suppose, that rarely get a mention, which is why I want to highlight them um, before we close out on our study. Um, they are showings of the Spirit just as much as the gift of tongues, prophecy, teaching, healing, and all the rest of it. Um, do, we, do we have chapter 12, verse 28, Johnny? Yeah, do you want to fire it up? There it is, great. Um, th- this is not on your sheet, but there it is on the, on the slide. Uh, and God, this is Paul again, same sort of argument. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. I-, I love it. I love it how he puts tongues right at the end. He's writing to the contentious issue of tongues. They're obsessed with tongues in the church of Corinth. And there it is, right at the end of the list. They're there, says Paul, but they're kind of like, you know, I'll put them last just to show you that they're not as important as you think. But I love the fact that he highlights the ordinary, you know, the gifts of helping and administration. Similar sort of thing we see in Romans 12, verse 6. That should be there too. Yes, having, uh, this is Jesus again, having gifts uh, uh, that differ according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Again, I love that. I love how Paul has sprinkled between the prophecy and the teaching and the leadership, service, acts of mercy, um, contribution, You know, generosity. I love that. Because he's teaching us, isn't he? He's shuffling all this stuff, and he's saying all these gifts are from God. All of them have been uh, to be used and received by his people, and all of them can and should be used to build up the community on mission. That's why we're given all these gifts. And so, as a you know, like I say, probably his personal testimony here, as a bivocational church planter and leader here at Foundation Church, uh, one, one, of the, one of the key gifts or skills that, that I think I've, I've had to develop over the years and really need is administration. It is so important, and it's also probably a um, a big a big uh, headache as well. That's the reason why I was up at eleven thirty p.m. last night getting ready for Sunday. It wasn't because I was praying, or, or preparing my sermon, or doing some spiritual stuff. I was doing admin, um, and you know it's very much a part of the job. And so uh, I'm praying right now, actually. Lord, give give us send someone, send people with the gift of administration. Um, Yes, tongues. Yes, prophecy. Amen. Wonderful. But, oh, God, I need someone who can fill out an Excel spreadsheet. Fill out some forms, tick some boxes. So if that's you, just shout out. If you are, uh, you know, if you feel drawn or or, or just, like, switched on by the thought of doing administration, bless you in Jesus' name. Please come and speak to me. Uh, I would love to have a conversation with you urgently. Please come to me. Um, But, yes, I just want to, you know, I just think this highlights... uh, some of the underrated gifts and yet how important they are to building the church and strengthening the community on mission so what 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 is administration just in case you're uh uncertain about that whether that's you Uh, an administration or a gift of administration i think is somebody who would be uh pretty well organized i'll say very organized gets jobs done quickly very efficiently uh loves the satisfaction of ticked boxes uh completed forms I remember Marion and I went on holiday once to Orlando with her cousin and her husband, Rachel and Mark. And uh, I think we were in the airport in Dublin or Belfast, wherever we flew from. And uh, she brought out this, uh, your cousin Rachel, brought out this little uh, plastic Ziploc folder with all the information in it about the flights and where we're going, what we're doing. And they're all laminated. She brought them out and she'd laminated them all. And I just thought that is the gift of administration right there. Suddenly, we were all relaxed. We didn't have to worry about what we're doing next because she had it all. No one had to ask her; she just did it. She loved it. Gift of administration, wonderful. So too the gift of generosity. For example, Um, you know we're all called to give, aren't we? We're all called to contribute. Part of the act of worship is to is to bring our tithes and offerings to God for the extension of His kingdom, uh, to fund the mission that God sends us on. But for some people, some people are sort of extra wired up. Uh, to, to love to give they love giving over and above they love to sort of take the resources they've been given by God and sew it into the kingdom uh, to see what happens that's just again a wonderful gift but you never, very rarely hear about the gift of generosity who here has heard of uh, a woman called Selina Countess of Huntington you have, yeah I know you have oh. I'm talking about it all the time Selina Countess of Huntington um, who is she? She um, was, uh, She's a, a British woman from the 18th century, part of the nobility, uh, the gentry, I suppose. She sort of moved in the upper circles of, um, of, of the society of her day. And she was someone who came from an incredibly uh, wealthy and influential family. She married uh, a man from an incredibly wealthy and influential family. This individual, her husband, died fairly early of, of a heart, heart condition. Um, But as such, she inherited incredible wealth. She had properties dotted around the entire British Isles, including, would you believe, 10 Downing Street at one point? She lived there. Um, and, And yet one day she heard the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus died for her sins, rose on the third day, and when she understood that and it went into her heart, that transformed the way that she looked at her incredible, enormous wealth. And so the, the thing that really stirs me about Selina Countess of Huntington was her humility and her, the way that she used her wealth and influence to tremendous impact for the gospel across the United Kingdom and further afield. She built dozens of new churches. She funded and trained ministers uh, to preach the gospel. She established a training college. She even backed the leaders of the evangelical revival, such as John Wesley and, um, and George Whitfield, and opened doors of opportunity to them they would never have had in that level of society, preaching to the lords and ladies and even to the king at one point. And this all began because the Holy Spirit gave her the gift of generosity. Unfortunately, she did not possess the gift of leadership um, she probably could have, could have done with that too, but um, she's very sort of, uh, you know, uh, very, very single minded woman, very stubborn at certain points, but no doubting the humility, the sacrificial love, um, and the, the gift of generosity and how strongly the church was built up because of her. And yet you've never heard of her. That's the thing, isn't it? You know, people with generosity often stay in the background a little bit and they just bless others and, and, and send other ministries forward. Love that. So as we're thinking about hands and sort of, you know, gift of hands, I suppose, these practical things, let's not be distracted then by tongues and prophecies and and, and all that. They're good, Praise God. We need them. We want them. But as Paul says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And of course, that includes these other gifts that we're talking of here. The gift of administration, generosity, acts of mercy, etc. Let's just see the totality of gifts, the variety of gifts and yet the same spirit. And and I I just fully believe here at Foundation that the the diversity in your gifting um, will really cause Foundation Church to be all the more healthy um, as as we express those gifts, as was prayed earlier on for um, for Rachel. Um, And and, I don't know if you noticed as you came in this morning, but um, there's a few tables set up next door here. There's opportunities for you. Uh, after this, this service is concluded to register your interest in a multiplicity of serving opportunities that we have here at Foundation Church, whether this is your second Sunday or you 've been here for two years or five years or whatever, um, there are fresh opportunities for you to serve um, so please after the service there 'll be one or two representatives sort of milling around as well chance for you to talk and, and, and ask what this might be um, but there 's twelve different ministry options. Uh, available to you and if there's something that you can feel remotely interested in just do stick your your details down that'll set up a conversation you know how can we best sort of deploy you and your gifting in the church Um, and even if it's a a case of trying a certain ministry out or if you want to swap you know or or do multiple things um, that's all next door so again just love you after the service um, whether it's running an alpha course or doing admin Uh, whether it's music or mercy ministry, there's even a sheet that says none of the above, and and you get to write in there what what you think your gifting is. And again, that's another conversation I'd love to have with you. Anyone can, can sign up. You're just registering your interest after the service. Great. Tongues, hands, hearts. We end with hearts. Not because it's kind of floppy and boring and the rest is really exciting. But we end with hearts because it is the most important part of all of us, from the beginning till now. Um, We've been seeing, haven't we, over these last few weeks together as a church, when you come together, the ordinary and the extraordinary means that God uses to grow the church. Um, He gives these gifts graciously to all believers, all followers of Jesus. No gift should be neglected. Every gift should be used and given an opportunity to thrive. And of course, as a church, right, we want to be about embracing one another's gifts and uh, identifying them and talking about them and using them. And we've spoken over the last few weeks. If you, if you hear of a need, meet it. If you hear of a, a sickness, pray for it. You know, um, don't, don't hang around. Use your gift. And when you see gifting in other people, affirm that. You might be the first person to identify that. And sometimes that word of encouragement or affirmation, hey, I, you know, I, I see you being you know, a real blessing to me in this area. You seem to have the gift of encouragement. Um, you, you have the gift of prophetic, some of these words you've given me, some of these have really struck, struck my heart, you know, maybe a prophetic gift there. Um, we can affirm and encourage this from, among one another. And likewise, if, if uh, you know, sometimes a word of challenge as well, sometimes a word of even rebuke if necessary, um, if we think people are operating wrongly or, or, or um, what have you, within a gift. But, but this is the kind of community that we're becoming, Right? It's the kind of community that is growing here at Foundation Church because we're the kind of people that can speak the truth in love. And when that happens and when we speak the truth and we know people love us, then, then that, that grows us. That grows our hearts. Um, and of course, obviously, we, we, we may not be obvious, but we do this because of the gospel. We do this because of the grace, the love shown to us. Uh, we do this because, because God chose us And God called us and God united us to his son, Jesus Christ. And God gave us the freedom and forgiveness. And he gave us the gifts to use to to serve him and enjoy him. We didn't earn any of it. It's all of grace. And so that sets up the kind of community that I'm talking about here, where we we have no need to prove anything to one another. You know, no games are required here. No acting, no no masks are required, except for the ones for COVID reasons. But, you know... um, the one thing that we need to do is show to one another that God is good and gives good gifts to his children. That's so why I want to end this series on this, this central exhortation, um, certainly in Paul's argument anyway, to love. Because love is the context to all that we've been learning. Love is the context, it's the seedbed of all these gifts that we're talking about. We mustn't lose sight of love. The church in Corinth did, and that's why he had to write that letter to them. They elevated the gifts, particularly the gifts of tongues above all other considerations, and it led to a church that was full of arrogance, full of division, uh, arguments all over the place, breakdown of unity, because they'd forgotten to love. Paul writes to them and says, look, you as a church are superbly gifted. You are operating in the gifts of the Spirit. That much is clear. But you lack love. Read with me, um, chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, right? that's the utterance of knowledge we talked about earlier. And if I have all faith to remove mountains, the ability to work miracles, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, generosity, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, sort of ascetic lifestyle, you know, living thrifty, all that, but I have not love, I gain nothing. See what he's saying? He's saying you can have the most gifted, prophetic abilities. You can have faith that can move mountains. You can perform tremendous miracles and signs and wonders. You can be you know, philanthropists, giving away everything you have. You can be the chief of self-denial, but you can do all that without love. And if you do any of that without love, according to Paul and me, because he said it, you're nothing. Your gift is nothing. In fact, if anything, I would go further and say our gift can be used harmfully if there is no love behind it. That explains, doesn't it, why we see or hear uh, quite often, very sadly, particularly within, within the church, gifted leaders, you know, preachers, those with prophetic gifts, while we hear a steady stream of them falling in you know, moral failures or big, just stupid behaviour disqualifying themselves from ministry, and we ask ourselves, how is this so? How can it be that someone so great, so gifted, so influential can fall and make such a mess of their lives? Surely a chief reason is because they have no love. Because you can operate in these tremendous gifts and be a world-class preacher or whatever it happens to be, but still have no love in your heart. Love never ends, he says. The gifts go. Faith will one day not be required. Prophecy will not be needed. But one thing does last, and that's love. Gifts without love are weapons. They can be used to build yourself up and lower other people. Gifts with love build up other people and lower yourself. It humbles you. Because you understand the gifts are not ultimately for you. Yes, they're to be enjoyed by you and embraced and received. But ultimately, they're for the glory of God and to build up the church. By definition, that's those out there, other other than you. Love doesn't bear grudges. Love always thinks the best. It's not boastful, it's not envious, it's not rude. The context for all of this, don't forget, is the spiritual gifts. Why do we love? Why is this the greatest of all these things well, we love because he first loved us right on the cross we see the pattern of our love we see on the cross what god did in giving his son and, and, and loving us and jesus willingly coming for us and and dying in our place and and rising and then sending his spirit to to for us to live for him and see all that stuff together sets the pace about how we operate in love receiving the gifts. So together over the last few weeks as a community, we have seen the ordinary means that God uses, we've seen the extraordinary means, and we want to be a church, as we've been saying, that embraces both, the fullness of what God has for us. And let's face it, folks, we need it today, we need it. Um, Because our vision is to catalyze gospel transformation in this city and in our country and beyond. And of course, we're going to have to draw on the immense resources that God gives us. We don't have enough power or significance in and of ourselves. None of us can do it. And so I hope that as we close out this series and this message today, um, that there's there's an increased desire and hunger in your heart to hold on and and receive more of the things of God, be that the ordinary means of word and sacrament, or be that the extraordinary means, the gifts of the Spirit, um, as we've been discussing them but we need it. The lost need it, All to the glory of God. Let's pray, let's stand. It's gonna allow some space before we uh, start praying together just to allow the Holy Spirit to, to work. He's been working already, uh, but sometimes we need to acknowledge that in our own lives and sometimes a gift of silence and just a bit of time. It just allows us to listen to his voice and listen to his, his calling in our lives. Maybe there's been a specific challenge for you over this series, or maybe even today. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you of a certain area of your life that, that he wants to work through and work in. Maybe it's a hunger, a new hunger for a gift that he has placed on your heart, that he says, ask me and I'll give it to you. So let's just spend a few moments in quiet reflection.